Season one, episode three. This is the story of Michael Donald and how his 1981 lynching was the trigger to bankrupt the Ku Klux Klan, an organization that had lived to terrorize minorities here in the United States. My name is Shakira, and I am the host of Black History Moments. This podcast is dedicated to telling the stories of those that have come before us that we don't often hear in our history books, during our lectures, or anywhere, to be honest. So I hope that you learn something new during this podcast episode, and also that you will subscribe and share with your friends and your loved ones. I hope that you enjoy. But before we get into the story of Michael Donald, here is a word from our sponsor. Before the start of this year, I'd never heard the name Michael Donald before. I'd never heard of his lynching, his mother, anything, no word of his story before in my life. But one day I was in the library. This was in about February this year. And the local library that I was in had a display of black history books. So one of the books I happened to just glance at really quickly was titled 13 Loops. And the author of the book was BJ Hollers. That is BJ H-O-L-L-A-R-S. Just in case you want to check it out. It's a very easy read. Um, Emotional. Yes, very emotional. I cried several times while reading that book, but it is worth the read. And I was inspired after I completed the book this week to share the story with you all. It's an emotional story. It's a story you may have heard before. You may have not heard before. Um, A lot of people I've spoken to had never heard of Michael before, even my parents who were older than him when he passed. So I felt like it was only fitting that I dedicate one of these episodes to telling Michael's story. And being that my memory is not so great, I knew that I needed to tell it this week because I just finished the book this week. And I told myself, Shakira, if you wait another week, you're probably going to forget some details. So here we are. Today is the story of Michael Donald. So the year is 1981. And for context, the top song in 1981, well, on the R&B charts, at least, was Endless Love by Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Um, A few movies that came out during that year were Halloween 2, also Friday the 13th, Part 2, Escape to New York, Nighthawks, things of that nature. And I wanted to share you all a few pop culture references because I think when we look back at certain dates in time we can feel like we are far removed from those dates but it really wasn't that long ago and I want to emphasize that because the year was 1981 it was not that long ago so at this time Michael is working overnight Michael is a 19 year old black kid living in Mobile Alabama He is working overnight at the local newspaper. He works overnight to stuff the newspapers in the bags because this is the time, you know, before cell phones, people actually read newspapers and they would be distributed early in the morning. Imagine the paper boy throwing the newspaper. So Michael would be a part of that process at his local newspaper. So Michael gets off the night before and Michael loved frequenting his local community center to play basketball with his friends. So he spent a lot of time on that day, March 21st, at 
the community center. So there were two that he went to, according to witnesses that day, two different community centers. They also said that he went to his girlfriend's house at the time, but he didn't spend a lot of time there. And then later on, he showered somewhere and ended up at his sister's house. So Michael was the youngest of all of his siblings. He has six other siblings from his mother, Beulah Mae Donald. It was a popular game going on that night. I believe it was um, Alabama. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But it was a popular game. It was a college game going on during that time. So he went to his sister's house. There were several other people there to watch the game as well. During halftime, one of his nieces asked him to go to the store to buy a pack of cigarettes. So he borrows a dollar from her and he begins walking to the local corner store. So apparently the one that they believed that he was going to was a 7-Eleven that was down the road a few blocks away from where his sister lived. But on the way to the store, they realized that he never made it there. Meanwhile, while Michael is going through this situation, his mother is at home and she's starting to feel uneasy, like something is not right. A lot of people may refer to it as mother's instinct. You can call it that. I guess you can call it that. So she feels like something is not right and it's getting late. He is the only child that is still living with her and Michael never returns home. But she tries to force herself to go to sleep and feel as if it's okay. He's fine. She said that that night she woke up around 2 a.m. because she kept having this nightmare. And every single time the nightmare would repeat itself, it would be in her living room. There would be a gray casket. And whenever she would get close to the casket to see who was inside, she could see that they were wearing a gray suit. But whenever she would get close to it to see who was inside to try to peek in, someone would tell her, you don't want to see this. And eventually, Beulah May did refer to the nightmare almost as a premonition of what was to come in her life. So she keeps having this reoccurring nightmare. So she ends up just giving up on trying to go to sleep at 2 a.m. She stays up. She starts raking her yard a little bit. She drinks two cups of coffee and she peeks into Michael's room and Michael is still not there. So she's waiting on Michael to get home. The sun rises and while she's outside raking her yard, a woman walks by and she says um, they found a body over by a certain street in the town. Instantly, her first mind is not that that body will be discovered to be Michael, her son. She kind of just blew it off and let it go until someone called her on the phone. A woman called her on the phone and she said that another woman had found Michael's wallet in a trash bin in an alleyway. Michael's mother viewed that discovery as a sign that Michael was okay somewhere. So she was like, oh good, they found him. But the woman responded that no, they found his body and you need to get down here. Let's rewind to go back to that night. So during the same time that Michael goes missing, there is a cross burning on the lawn of the local courthouse in Mobile, Alabama. 
And what I discovered from reading this book is that back then, the Ku Klux Klan would do something somewhere in another part of the city to distract from something worse that they were doing in another part. So it's basically to get people's attention on that small thing while they have time to do this other terrible, horrendous thing somewhere else. So they were burning this cross and a security guard that was hired to watch this area had seen it. But he said that the cross was so small and it burned out so quickly that they didn't pay much mind. And by the time he realized what it was, they just kind of blew it off because it wasn't even shaped like a big cross. They said it was about two feet wide, which is very small. But during the same time, Michael is walking to the convenience store, remember, to pick up the cigarettes for his niece. And a car pulls up alongside him while he's walking. It's nighttime. It's before midnight. And a car pulls up and it has two guys in the car. They motion to him to come close to the car because they act like they're asking him for directions to a local nightclub. So Michael, they refer to him as very um, kind hearted, very nice, willing to help people, no questions asked. So they ask him for directions and he willingly leans forward like towards the car to give them directions to whatever nightclub it was they said that they were trying to find. And when he leans over, they point a gun at him and tell him to get in the car or they'll kill him. These two men were named James Tiger Knowles. James was 17 at the time, and the other man was named Henry Francis Hayes, and Henry was about 27 or 28. I can't remember which one, but I believe he was 28 at the time of the murder. So Michael gets inside the car. Of course, they have a gun pointed at him and they drive to a neighboring county. So they didn't commit the crime in Mobile, Alabama. They drive to a neighboring county. They apparently had frequented this area to harass people because a week earlier, a week prior to this happening, they had driven another guy there who they believed to be homosexual at the time. And they harassed him, they beat him, but he was blessed and lucky enough to be able to run away and ask for help. But obviously it wasn't enough because a week later, Michael is a victim of theirs. So they drive to this clearing and when they get there, they force Michael out of the car. They beat him. Um, They grabbed a limb and they both took turns hitting him with the limb. He was hit over 100 times with this limb they tied a noose around his neck a rope around his neck that had 13 loops which is excessive because when I was reading the book it was describing how many loops um they would use to lynch people during this time and I didn't even consider that you know I whenever I heard of lynchings and hangings I never even considered the amount of loops you know that they feel or deem appropriate to lynch someone. So they he's on the ground, he's unconscious, and the coroner at the time believed that Michael may have been dead already by the time they put the rope around his neck, but they put the rope around his neck, and Henry, the oldest one, he puts his foot on Michael's face, and they tighten the rope around his neck. Now, with that being said, if Michael weren't already passed, if he hadn't already passed from the beating with the limbs being hit over 100 times, he was definitely um, killed due to strangulation with 
the rope. So they get Michael's body and they put him in the trunk of the car. And Tiger Nose says that he asked Henry, the oldest one, if he was really dead. And Henry responded, if he isn't, I'm going to make sure of it. And he proceeds to slit Michael's throat three times with a knife. They close the trunk, get in the car, drive back to Mobile, and they decide to hang Michael from a tree. They hang him from this tree that can be seen from Henry's house. If you stood on the porch of Henry's house, if you squinted just enough, you would be able to see Michael's body hanging from that tree. And I'm saying that because after they finished hanging him from this tree, they go back where there's a gang of people at the house already and they brag about what they had just done. And what started the conversation was that Tiger had a splotch of blood on his shirt and someone there asked him what happened. So they tell them, you know, what went down just a few moments earlier and they go out on the porch and they say, if you squint just enough, you can see his body swinging from the tree. How disgusting and you may be asking yourself right now what was their affiliation with the Ku Klux Klan um what triggered them to find Michael and do such a heinous crime well they were both members of the local Ku Klux Klan chapter in the area in Mobile Alabama and they were all triggered first of all let me backtrack Benny Hayes was the father of Henry Hayes, the older boy. He was his dad. That's important to know later. So Benny, the father, was the, it's not president. I don't know what they refer to them as, but he was basically the leader of this chapter of the Klan, which was at one point they said this chapter was the most violent of all the chapters in the United States towards black people so just that week they were upset because over in Birmingham years prior there had been a murder of a white police officer his name was officer Gene Ballard officer Gene Ballard was minding his business one day in his police car when he, I mean honestly he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and it was terrible but Locally in Birmingham, there was a bank robbery, and the guy who robbed the bank was a black man. His name was Josephus Anderson, and Josephus didn't even live in Birmingham. He was just there to rob the bank, so he robs this bank, and he's leaving there, and we're not sure if the officer had gotten a call in from his radio or if it was just a coincidence that he calls Josephus over to his police car Josephus leans down and shoots Gene Ballard in the chest and he passes. So this trial goes on for years and the jurors in this trial were mostly black except one white juror, I believe. And they, it was a hung jury. It was hung. And the Ku Klux Klan in Mobile were upset about this because who are you black jurors to not convict a black man of killing a white man. That was their mentality about the whole thing. 
So it was said that after this decision came out, they were at Benny Hayes' house, not the night of Michael's lynching, but prior, earlier in the week. They were at Benny Hayes' house talking about how upset they were that Josephus Anderson was not found guilty of killing the police officer, Gene Ballard. They were so upset that some of them said that wouldn't it be nice to send a message, and by message they meant lynching another black man to show that they weren't going to tolerate um, black jurors being able to convict or being able to basically decide on a case where there is a white victim. So that was the method behind their madness. That was their reasoning for targeting Michael that night. So the following morning after the lynching, everyone starts arriving People are seeing the body before they cut it down because, of course, you have the medical examiner who has to come look at it before they cut everything down. You have to have evidence, come and take pictures of everything. And it was crazy. Of course, there were several people gathering around who were crying, who were hysterical because, come on, it's 1981. How far removed are we from lynching? When you think of lynching, I'm I don't know about you, but when I think of lynching, I think of lynching as in slavery days, maybe even the early 50s or the 60s at the latest, but 70s, 80s, I'm not even thinking about lynching, right? So it was a culture, it was a shock, it sent a shockwave through their community. Now, after this happens, the police bring in three or four guys who had absolutely positively nothing to do with the crime at all. They were like some rocker kind of guys, to be honest, and I feel bad for them. But I felt like the local police felt like if they didn't bring someone in fast, it would make them seem like they weren't making an effort, which they really weren't making an effort at the time, if we're being honest. But they wanted to just avoid that negative attention especially being that something so big had happened during this time in their community so they bring these people in and eventually they have to let them go because they had nothing to do with what had happened and two years go by two years so in 1983 that's when the FBI got involved with this case two years later now what sparked this to even come about one of the FBI agents whose desk this case happened to stumble upon because they were almost going to close this case, but his mother, Michael's mother, Beulah Mae Donald, I commend her because she kept pressing for some justice in this case, and they almost closed it, and they actually asked this FBI agent who eventually took it on, like, are you sure you want to handle this can of worms? And he was like, yeah. And I commend him as well for having the, I want to say another word, but having the guts to take this case on. So he reviews some old footage from around the time the lynching happened. He reviews some news footage. And in one particular clip, he sees that in the background, if you look just beyond the crowd that had gathered to see Michael's body, you can see a group of white people gathering and they're walking back and forth, they're smiling, they're whispering amongst each other. 
So he goes down to Mobile, Alabama to try to figure out who these people are. And eventually he happens upon Henry Hayes and Tiger Nose. And he basically gets Tiger Nose to confess to everything. Tiger tells them of his involvement. He tells them of Henry Hayes' involvement, what happened, when it happened, where it happened, everything. He tells them everything. And basically, some people were saying that they felt like it was a guilty conscience at play. Most police officials felt like he only confessed to everything because he was able to strike a deal with his sentence if he told on Henry Hayes before Henry Hayes um, caught a deal, right? So he tells everything and they end up going to court for this crime. They both were facing life sentences for the lynching of Michael and Henry Hayes' sentence. He ends up getting life, according to the jurors, right? But the judge in his case felt like that was not enough. So he go, you know, he takes it upon himself and he's like, no, I'm sentencing you to death. So he got a death sentence for killing a black man in Alabama. And that hadn't happened in 50 years up to that point, 50 years. And the following year in 1984, so now it is three years after Michael's lynching, she got in contact, Michael's mother, Beulah Mae Donald, she got in contact with Morris Dees, and he was a civil rights attorney who co-founded the Southern Poverty Law Center in 1971. He had a track record for suing the KKK during this time, so he understood how they function as an organization. He basically had the inside scoop, so he knew what they were about and how they handled things. So going forward, they sued the KKK for a federal wrongful death lawsuit, and it was against the United Clans of America, and at this time, it was one of the country's largest clan organizations, and they wanted to hold the organization accountable, not only the organization, but also the organization's members being accountable for this lynching. And also something that I forgot to mention was that Beulah McDonald during Michael's funeral, oh my gosh, I saw in the book there were pictures of Michael's body after the lynching and that was really what you know really got to me and made me cry I cried for a long time once I got to those pictures in the book but just seeing his body like that was so disheartening and she took it upon herself to have an open casket funeral so that other people could see what they had done to her son. And she took a page out of Emmett Till's mother's um, book because that's what Emmett Till's mother did when he was beaten and killed. She let them have an open casket funeral so other people could see what they did to her son. And Beulah McDonald did the same. I wanted to tell you all that because I forgot to mention it earlier. But they sued the KKK. Again, this is in 1984, but the suit wasn't over until 1987. So three years later, the Donald family, Michael's family, was awarded $7 million against um, the United Clans of America and several of their members. But the thing about it was, um, you know, it only took the jurors hours to deliberate and come to a decision about it. But the thing was, they never got that money. They never got that money. 
it was just the point. It was the principle of showing them that this cannot happen. And this bankrupt the clan. This suit bankrupt them because they were supposed to pay her $7 million. They didn't. They had to give up the deed to their headquarters in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. But the headquarters was only worth $225,000. And I believe of that, his mother may have gotten a few thousand. It was not a lot of money. And it's just so sad because Michael wanted to go to school to be a carpenter. And he always talked about how he wanted to build his mom a home and... I just, man, I just wish he were able to do that for her. But they get the deed to the headquarters. And when they get, you know, the keys and everything, they go to the headquarters. They had stripped everything out of the headquarters except one plaque that was still on the wall, which was about how, um, I forgot what it said verbatim, but it was something like, KKK now and forever that was the only thing they left in the building so now the building is privately owned and I believe they have like jazz festivals there and I'm curious to know if people that are visiting there know the history behind that building I'm not sure but that is how the suit went and as for those members that were supposed to pay um, Mrs. Donald and her family, some of their properties were seized and some of their wages were garnished. Some of the members' wages were garnished because of the civil trial, because of the civil suit. And with evidence, they were able to indict Benny Hayes. Remember, Benny Hayes was Henry Hayes's father, who was the president or leader of this particular chapter of the Klan. And not only Benny Hayes, but his son-in-law, too. But, um... That didn't really go well because Benny Hayes, he ended up dying. He collapsed in the courtroom and he died during his second trial. But just Michael's mother's refusal to back down, her taking on this organization head on, just a woman by herself with the help of her attorneys and support of her children, I'm sure, in her community, she was able to bankrupt this organization, put them out of a home, basically, by being able to strip them of their headquarters. And hopefully, I'm sure they met other places, probably at each other's homes and things like that. But really shining a light on this dark spot in this dark corner of our world and in our history to let people know that this is still happening and we have to do something about this. So I commend Beulah McDonald. I know it was hard. And the saddest part about the whole thing to me, besides Michael um, Donald losing his life was that Beulah McDonald died in 1988. So the year after the suit was settled with the Klan, she died that following year. And I feel like maybe she was just holding on to see it through. Like she just had to see the suit through before she can let go. And wow, what a strong strong woman I can't imagine losing a child let alone having to be this black woman that is taking on an entire hate organization and they didn't just hate um black people they said they hated communists they hated gay people they just didn't like anyone who wasn't white and straight 
and also those who stood up for minorities at the time. So if you were someone who sympathized with minorities or felt like people were equal, they didn't like you either. So I just commend her and you hate that it had to be the loss of a life, the loss of Michael's life. And while I was reading the book, you know, I was thinking, oh my gosh, what if he just had taken another street? Or what if he just declined the offer to walk to the store? Or, you know, what if someone said, watch the end of the game? Or what if the game went into overtime? Like there are so many different scenarios that you think of when something like that happens where you wish things would have turned out differently. And I Man, I do wish things would have turned out differently. It was such a sad story. But that is the story of Michael Donald, his mother, Beulah Mae Donald, and how they took down one of the most notorious hate organizations in the United States, in the history of the United States of America. And if you didn't know, now you know. Again, I do recommend reading the book 13 Loops. There are so many details within that book and it recounts from years prior and how different cases and different situations and other lynchings aided in this group being so notorious and them feeling that they have the entitlement to take someone else's life because of their race alone. So I highly recommend it. Again, it is 13 Loops by BJ Hollers. You can find it at your local library, online, on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, wherever you shop for your books. And let me know if you do read it, um, what you thought about it and the emotions you felt while reading it, because I experienced a range of emotions from sadness, anger, fear, regret. I mean, I went through... (laughs) probably every single emotion there is so if you read it give me a holler also we have an instagram account it is black history moments we're going to be sharing recaps of the episodes and also some little black history facts randomly on the page we have a twitter too which is black history moments pod and remember before we get out of here always remember that you too are black history we'll see you in the next episode next week friday at 9 a.m Bye, guys.